Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune into the trade addicts podcast thank you and enjoy your podcast from dynastyleaguefootball.com and a dlf family a podcast that's James Sabrain. Guys, I've been thinking about this all day. Who would win in a fight? The team of John Superflex, Dude Hogue, and Stompy Lane versus a kangaroo. That was wild. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Why did you come up with that? Why did your brain go there? I, uh, I've, I've thought this out with 126 different scenarios, and let me tell you, it's been wild. <laughs> a lot of different animals um i'm sure you didn't start with something small and easy for us to dominate like a gerbil or something no no 76 percent of the time you guys uh, ended up losing just so you know. <laughs> okay well that is stompy sam lane did you know they use baby fetuses for flavoring and pepsi Wait, is that one true? What are you? Are you new to this show? Oh, yeah. Do you not know what he does? <laughs> Come on, bro. I mean, this this one's. Oh. I think this one's important for us to fact check. <laughs> At least a little bit. Like, there's got to no, be. No, they no, they don't. They it's you have to read it, but it's basically like somebody just taking something completely out of context and then trying to say, oh, well, we killed fetuses for flavoring and pepsi okay but you didn't make that up like you heard no no i didn't i heard it (laughs) okay i I thought you were just kind of making up your own now and i was like this is even more bizarre than than james's fantasies this has gone off the rail (laughs) yeah anyways i am john sixth avenue heartache hogue and this is the super flex super show time for a super six and we're going to be looking at strength of schedule for fantasy players, for individual players, going to go by position and give you a top six, top six. So definitely some fantasy players. We've got the top six at, at running back, quarterback, and wide receiver slash tight end. And then we've got another top six, top six of uh, of some uh, just kind of some freestyle type stuff, as we normally do when we go top six. But before we get into it, just a quick reminder about the Fantasy Cares Eliminators. You can still sign up. There's still several uh, several spots left in some of those leagues. The Superflex Super Show, ours is all filled up. Thank you to everybody who signed up for those. Uh, but you can still sign up to compete with Stompy. Uh, you can still sign up. You can sign up to compete with guys like Tom Kislingberry and Addison Hayes, Elliot Christ, Graham Barfield. 
some awesome, awesome competitions uh, still yet to be filled. So make sure you sign up. You can get to those by following John Bosch. He's at John Bosch FF. He's the the awesome uh, creator and organizer of the FC Eliminators. And uh, check out his pin, his pin tweet, uh, and you can uh, go sign up for the uh, FC Eliminator of your choosing. Sign up for more than one, in fact. Most people have, so uh, jump into as many as you want, and as many still have openings. We still have a few spots left to fill, so definitely go check those out and find some Eliminators to take on some of the uh, the industry's great minds. So, boys, let's jump right in to this Super 6, and we're going to start at the quarterback position with uh, some favorable and unfavorable fantasy schedules as identified by our own James the Brain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, guys, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't, I'm not very good at the six-pack thing. I don't, I don't have a six-pack. I'm walking around with a keg around my waist, and I, I, I uh, I've... I've got some issues with the uh, with the six pack. So basically, what I did was I highlighted stretches uh, uh, for for quarterbacks that I thought were either positive or negative, and things that maybe you should look for uh, as far as if you're buying a guy, uh, and maybe things to look for if you're selling someone. So um, I'm going to start out with my number six, and that is Jared Goff. Jared Goff, week six through ten, he has a positive game script. Um, during those weeks. And uh, the reason being is because in week six, he is at home against the San Francisco 49ers. So that's a defense that uh, last year gave up a lot of points to the quarterback. It's a, uh, it's a plus matchup for him. Then in week seven, they go to Atlanta. They're playing in a dome, which is always good for the Rams. Um, And they, that, that game very well could be a shootout. I mean, that, that seems to be the game script for that one. Uh, week eight, they return home and they play the Cincinnati Bengals. This is not a defense that you should shy away from. They give up a lot of points, especially at quarterback. So I think that's a great matchup. Week nine, they do have a bye. But week 10, when they come back from the bye, they go to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers, another defense that isn't daunting versus quarterbacks. And a, a you know that game script, again, could be very high scoring. So I like Jared Goff's stretch there from week six to week 10. Again, he does have a bye week in there, but, uh, but the four matchups that he has are very, very nice. And I think uh, during those weeks, I'd be uh, I'd be looking to start Goff every one of those matchups. I think he uh, he finishes really well in each one of those weeks. So uh, moving on to number five, unfavorable matchup for Dwayne Haskins the first five weeks. Now this is assuming Dwayne Haskins is the starter. Um, I think we have to give him the benefit of the doubt at this point, being that he was a high you know a first round pick. Um, you know, we we got to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's going to start. But if he does, it's it's brutal, man. Week one, they open up in Philadelphia taking on the Eagles. Um, I don't think that's a great matchup for him. That's a division matchup right off the bat. You're on the road. You're opening up in Philadelphia. I think we know what that crowd can be like, too. That's a tough matchup for a quarterback, a rookie quarterback, to make his first start. Uh, week two, they return home, but they face the Dallas Cowboys, who, when that defense is healthy, is very, very good. Um, they can put pressure on the quarterback, and they have a decent secondary. So I don't think that's a great matchup. Week three, hey, at home again, so that's good. Unfortunately, they'll be welcoming in the Chicago Bears, and I think we know how good that defense is, especially against the pass. And talk about a pass rush. They're expected to blitz a whole lot more. 
They have Khalil Mack. I mean, they they have a pass rush to begin with. So that could be a tough one for a rookie quarterback. Week four, they go to New York to take on the Giants. Going to New York, your first trip could be could be daunting. I mean, that's uh, you're going to have a lot of media there. Um, it's going to be an interesting game. So while while that defense isn't going to be, I I, I don't know if they're going to be great. Um, I think they're going to be decent. And you know, again, you know, for a rookie quarterback to go to New York for the first time, that can that can be troubling. And then week five. Bill Belichick has got to be licking his chops because while they have to go to Washington, Bill Belichick against rookie quarterbacks is normally a pretty good matchup. Um, he, he likes to scheme and, and do things that uh, that are going to confuse, give different looks to a rookie quarterback and try to confuse them. So uh, that that's a rough stretch, uh, that, that five-week stretch for Washington quarterbacks. So um, I don't think that's ideal uh, for Dwayne Haskins. So um, so next I'm going to go to uh, – I, I wanted to – I was just – maybe this is a point of discussion. So I, I don't know if you guys can recall last season, how brutal the uh, bills schedule was the first four or five games. I can't remember exactly. Do you, and, and I think there was a lot of talk of Josh Allen, maybe sitting out those games. Ultimately it didn't happen because Nathan Peterman's got awful, but do you think you could see that same situation playing out where Case Keenum sees the field those first four games, first five games, whatever, and then Dwayne Haskins not not wanting to uh, pull a Cleveland Brown situation with Dejon Kaiser, maybe um, keep the kid off the field and, and let Case Keenum kind of eat those tough games? Yeah, I, I love that thought process. The problem is, is I have no – I, I have no uh, no confidence in the Washington Redskins brass. Uh, their, their front office is terrible. This is probably the worst run organization in football. Um, and John Gruden could be on the hot seat if he doesn't win those first five games. So Jay Gruden. Or Jay, Jay Gruden, I'm sorry. Well, both of them. But Jay, but Jay you're right. Jay in Washington could be um, could be on the hot seat, really, uh, especially with the way that organization is run. So, um I, I think he's going to have to do whatever he can to try to win those five games. I don't know if uh, if that means playing a veteran and uh, and trying to get through those first five games and uh, trying to salvage a win or two, or whether that means playing Dwayne Haskins and trying to to play with uh, the upside that he he possesses. So um, I, I like it. I think it's a good idea. However, I don't trust that the Redskins are smart enough to do something like that. Uh, so so that's my thought on that. Um, Let's go. Let's go to number four. Number four on my list, uh, unfavorable matchup for Carson Wentz, week six through twelve, and that's a pretty big stretch. Um, so uh, that that's concerning for me. But week six, uh, they're in Minnesota. Uh, week six, seven, and eight, they're on the road, so that's tough. Week six, they're in Minnesota to take on the Vikings. Um, I think Vikings defense is is expected to be pretty good again. Um, and they can get a pass rush too. So that's that's not an ideal matchup. Week seven, they go to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Again, that's another defense that's pretty good. Um, they're good against quarterbacks. Week eight, they go uh, they're playing in Buffalo to take on the Buffalo Bills. The Bills last year gave up the least amount of co- fantasy points to quarterbacks. So that's not another matchup that's pretty tough. Week nine, they come home finally. And they welcome the Chicago Bears. So uh, another tough matchup. Week 10, they have a bye. Week 11, they come back from their bye. They are at home, but they play the New England Patriots. Again, um, not a defense that traditionally lets up a ton of points to quarterbacks. Philadelphia, we've seen, um, even in the playoffs, when they have success against 
against New England and beating them, um, you know, Carson Wentz hasn't really shown that success. So uh, I think that could be a tough matchup. And then week 12, they're at home, but they play the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, while that defense, I don't think, has nearly the talent that it had a few years ago. And, you know, they consistently seem to lose talent. Um, the scheme is, is pretty solid, especially against quarterbacks. And it was last year, too. So, um, again, another matchup that I think is tough. So I think that's a brutal schedule um, stretch there for Carson Wentz. So um, if you have Carson Wentz, you might I don't know. In redraft, if you draft him, you might want to look at maybe moving him after week five um, because you might be able to sell him pretty high then and uh, and get a better return for a quarterback that's going to have some better matchups moving down the line. So, um, so yeah, that's that's number four. Number three for me, I'm going to go a little quicker here. Number three for me is going to be Josh Allen. Um, and Josh Allen has three nice weeks, and it's the first three weeks. I know it's only a three-week stretch, but like you mentioned last year, he had a very difficult schedule, Stompy, uh, starting out the year. And this year, it's the opposite. Uh, week one, he goes to New York to play the New York Jets. Um, that's a defense that typically uh, gives up some points to quarterbacks. Week two in New York, taking on the Giants. So what's nice is, is you're going to be in New York two straight weeks. Um, and I think, you know, you could probably stay over there if you wanted to. Um, if not, I mean, Buffalo isn't far. So those aren't far road trips. I think that benefits Josh Allen. And I think the fact that he's not playing too daunting defenses starting out, coming out of the gates is nice. Week three, they're back at home and they play the Cincinnati Bengals. These are three matchups that I like Josh Allen being able to put up some decent numbers in. After that, the schedule gets pretty brutal. Um, so uh, if you're going to, if you draft Josh Allen, even if you draft him as a number two quarterback in a redraft, um, I would say that this year you probably want to consider playing him in those first few weeks because those will probably be some of the better weeks that he has. And then um, sell. Oh my God, yep. sell. Yep. You, you nailed it. Yeah, I, I don't think he's very good either, but if you're going to have him, even if you draft him as your quarterback two, week one, two, and three, if you have a tough matchup with your QB1, maybe that's the time that you look to you look to use him. So uh, my number two here, unfavorable matchup for Deshaun Watson. He's got unfavorable matchups from week nine to week 15. And that, that's tough for him because that schedule, um, you know, that, that goes right through the fantasy playoffs and right when you really need them. Um, so that's that's brutal for me. But week nine uh, in Jacksonville, taking on the Jaguars, I think that's a tough defense against quarterbacks. Traditionally, week 10, they have a bye week. Week 11, they come back from bye and they're going to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Week 12, they played the Indianapolis Colts, who surprisingly was very good against quarterbacks last year. Week 13, they are at home, but they take on the New England Patriots. Again, uh, tough matchup. Um, Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, again, he's got some elite weapons. He's an elite quarterback, but that's a difficult matchup. Week 14, they stay at home and they play the Denver Broncos. You guys kind of know that Denver defense can be daunting. And by week 14, I figure either A, they're going to have the, the, the kinks worked out and they're going to be firing on all cylinders, or B, they're going to be packing in and maybe playing some younger players. But I, I almost think it might be the latter there. Um, and week 15, they play in Tennessee to take on the Titans. The Titans were surprisingly good against quarterbacks last year, too. Um, and, and that's another tough matchup. So uh, really, week nine through week 15 is a brutal st stretch for Deshaun Watson. So if you have him, again, maybe that's a guy, you know, if you have a trade deadline, normally it's near that time. Um, I, I would consider moving later in the year because, you know, he's going to be a detriment come the playoffs if uh, if that schedule holds up to be brutal. So uh, the number one matchup... Guys, of course, I'm going to the GOAT. I'm going to Tom Brady. He has a favorable matchup. He has a favorable matchup from week one to week seven. Um, and the New England Patriots have, uh, if not the easiest, one of the easiest schedules in the NFL this year. Week one, they open up at home 
of course, they're going to get their rings and there's going to be the ceremony and they are at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That should be a shootout. I think we would all think that that probably has the capability of being that way. Week two, they go to Miami to play the Dolphins. Dolphins are a little bit worse than middle of the pack against quarterbacks. Week three, they come back home. They play the Jets. Week four, they go to Buffalo. While Buffalo was one of the uh, the better teams against quarterbacks, Tom Brady um, in Buffalo played very well. Um, it was at home that Buffalo kind of shut him down last year. So um, that's another game that he might be looking okay at. Week five in Washington. Um, while I think Washington has a pretty decent defense, I think offensively they're challenged. And I could see New England getting multiple opportunities to get some touchdowns there. Week six at home against the Giants. Week seven at home. Uh, I'm sorry, week seven on the road against the Jets again. So I think all those are very winnable games. All those are games that Brady can throw multiple touchdown passes in. While Brady isn't a top option, I think he's going to where you can draft him as a number two quarterback. And that's a nice number two quarterback to have those first seven weeks in case you need to play matchups. So um, I like that stretch. I like the stretch for New England. I mean, New England could be seven and zero going into week eight. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of what I got for quarterbacks guys. What did you guys think? Boo this man. Boo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That last one, man, like I said, that was going to be embarrassing and it kind of was, I, th- here's the problem. Okay. Well, two problems. First of all, the new England Patriots kind of treat the beginning of the season, like an extension of the preseason. They, they generally start pretty slow and it's because they don't really play their their top players a whole lot in the preseason. You're not going to see Tom Brady in the preseason hardly at all. And then, so, I mean, he's going to be gelling with all the newness on that offense in we in the first few weeks of the season. So, I mean, they typically start off pretty slow. I mean, I believe last year they started off one and three before they, before they really mashed the gas. I mean, other problem is he's 41 years old, man. <laughs> how long How long are we going to just assume that he's going to come out and do what he's always done? Well, I mean, he sucks on those almonds, man. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you mentioned that because um, when, when you look at Tom Brady, he did. He did I mean, last year there was a little bit more of a struggle. Um early in the season, but the year previous to that, there definitely wasn't. Um, you're right, though. There is there is some newness on that offense. Obviously, there's no Gronk. Nikhil Harry being there, um, you know, the weapons are suspect, and, you know, there's going to be some new tight ends in the fold. But I, I don't know, man. I'm just looking at this schedule. He might not throw for a ton of yards, and he might not get you a ton of points that way, but I think the touchdowns are going to come just because those teams are – really traditionally pretty weak um, when you get the Jets twice um, and then you got a team like Pittsburgh which could be a shootout I mean there's there's some potential there to have some some big games so I think if the score is going to go up I think Brady's going to have a chance to throw multiple touchdowns while you're right though um, I don't think the yardage is going to be there so maybe the ceiling's limited um, but I think for a guy who's going what the quarterback 15 um, in redraft, I mean, this guy isn't being drafted as a QB1. You get him as your QB2 and you can play matchups. I think that's that's an awful nice quarterback to have with those schedules, uh, with that schedule week one through seven, uh, especially if you have a quarterback that has an early bye week. Um, get Tom Brady and you can plug and play him for one of those weeks, you know, week four, week five, week six. I think that's a, that's a nice quarterback to have at that point. That's a fair point. And you could probably even get him as your third quarterback in a lot of cases, or you could pair him with somebody Mm -hmm. who's going to have a, you know, like a Jared Goff, who's going to have a better schedule late in the season and and just transition from one to the next. So it's, 
I think it's a legit strategy. How uh, realistic do you think it is to, I mean, with Wentz and Watson to either sell or bench got those guys during those unfavorable stretches? Because, I mean, let's be realistic. Watson has finished, I mean, looking looking at, including to 2017, he's finished top four uh, in, or not maybe not finished, but at least in 2017 in points per game. And then obviously last year he's finished top four. Um, I don't think anybody who's going to be taking Watson, I don't think they're going to have any reason really to sell a guy like Watson and then Wentz, even, even in a year that he's coming back from an ACL injury, he still finished or it was uh 13th QB 13 in points per game. So, I mean, is it really realistic to expect guys to sell or bench those those two specifically um, in those stretches? That's a really good question because I know it's hard to do. Um, I, I, I used to struggle with it. I don't anymore, uh, to be honest with you. And I think, it, it again, This I, I was looking at it from a redraft perspective only because you know, I, I'm only looking at the schedule this year. And so if I'm analyzing things two to three years out, it's pretty hard to do without that schedule. You know, so th- this is I was approaching as redraft. And as redraft, if I can get eight good weeks out of Deshaun Watson and then I see a, a brutal stretch coming for him, um, yeah, it makes it easier for me to sell him, especially because if he had eight good weeks, I could probably get a good return for him. So I'm probably not getting dog meat in return at quarterback, especially if I have a quarterback that, you know, Maybe I pair him with someone like a Jared Goff or something, someone who has a schedule that's a little lighter come going into the later part of the year. You know, I can just get a, a downgrade at quarterback maybe and, um, you know, someone that has a uh, not as high of a ceiling but has a better schedule coming up and, you know, another piece to help me uh, fill out uh, another part of my lineup. So, um, yeah, I, I used to have an issue with doing stuff like that and benching somebody that had a tough matchup. Um, but more more times than not, when I didn't do it, I regretted it. So um, I play matchups pretty, pretty heavily um, now, especially in redraft. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to throw one honorable mention in here. Um, Sorry, James. I'm going to hijack a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to throw Dak Prescott out here. And actually, I just I just wrote an article um, that may arguing that Dak Prescott could be a top five QB in 2019. Um, and it's due to really the presence of Amari Cooper and having the best weapons he's had in his career to date. And if you look at um, strength of schedule based off of points last season, yeah, according to that, he only has the 20th best or 12th worst schedule for QBs. Um, or I guess 12th from the worst. I, I never know how to say that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, but the Cowboys have the number one easiest wide receiver schedule. And with Amari Cooper there and Randall Cobb and hopefully another uh, or uh, uh, Michael Gallup here where he takes a step forward, could definitely see where Dak actually has a lot better season. And it's not necessarily based off of strength of schedule. And, and maybe I, the, the ultimate irony for me is how is it that Dallas or how is it that the schedule for the QBs is that bad, but it's that good for wide receivers anyway. So, yeah, I mean, Dak 
I, I think there might be a, it might be a little bit um, fake, I guess, in terms of what the strength of schedule says for the QB or for Dallas against the defenses that are good against the QB um, this season. And he might have a more favorable schedule than the strength, what the strength of schedule says. I like that. I, Dak is perennially underrated, but I think when you put the context to it of the schedule, especially for the wide receivers, that makes a lot of sense. I like it. Nice. Let's get to the running backs with you, Stompy. Sure. So um, I'll, I'll go the opposite of what I could just get weird and just start throwing random stuff out here, but I'll, I'll actually go in order because James decided to be a contrarian. Like baby flavored Pepsi? That yeah. You, you can get weirder than that. Uh, and more random i mean do you want me to try <laughs> listen i'm not even the one that brought up like fighting kangaroos like we went off the rails right away with this that's true <laughs> um so and and here's a good transition i think another and of course this is going to be about my favorite qb in 2019 another uh underrated qb this season is is lamar jackson um and it's largely due to uh, the strength of schedule against uh, running backs for Baltimore. They have the, e- the the easiest schedule weeks one through 16. Um, and that's because it includes teams like the Miami Dolphins in week one who, who allowed the fifth most points to running backs um, last season. Arizona, who allowed the second most. Uh, Kansas City, who allowed the third. And that's all in the first three weeks. And then uh, Cleveland, which allowed the 11th, which is a big deal. And then Pittsburgh actually was decent. They were kind of middle of the road, maybe a little bit better than middle of the road. But then they go to Cincinnati, uh, who and they face Cincinnati twice, mind you, next season, obviously, because they're in the AFC North. They allowed the uh, most um, points to running backs last season. And it may not have gotten better for them in terms of that um that linebacking core so they they have a legitimate schedule early and then they face cincinnati again um in the second half of the season uh they face the rams who struggled at times against the run and lost and Sue. they face the giants who allowed the ninth most points to running backs buffalo who allowed, who had a good uh, pass defense but allowed the seventh most points to running backs um so, I mean, you're getting the idea here that they face, and I think it was like six of the top 10 um, defenses that allowed the most points to running backs in those first 10 weeks or, or in those first uh, six weeks. So you're getting an idea of how, how easy that schedule is for them. So I really like Mark Ingram. I really like um, Lamar Jackson. And really, even you can you can take into consideration guys like Justice Hill, um, not Kenneth Dixon. Yes, Kenneth Dixon. You, <laughs> you, you saw me unmute this. <laughs> you saw me unmute. I, I actually mic. didn't. I was gonna uh. do. I was gonna say that anyway. So just just to start a riot. Just to be a yeah. Yep. Kenneth Kenneth Dixon absolutely belongs in this conversation before any of those other chumps. Okay. Well, regardless. Uh, and and the other the ultimate take home point here as well is that the defenses that the Ravens face they allowed twenty two or more points to running backs last season. That's the lowest amount of points 
that any of the defenses the ball, the Ravens face this year allowed last season. So I think Mark Ingram's going to have a phenomenal year. I think Lamar Jackson's going to have a phenomenal year. Um, they're going to obviously they're going to be running the ball a ton. And I, I, and I think I said this when Lamar or when Mark Ingram signed, he could be a back end RB one this season. Um, the second is the best first quarter of the season. And I know that's kind of an arbitrary thing, but, uh, weeks one through five, uh, Detroit, has the easiest schedule um, when it comes to running backs. And so that means carry on Johnson likely because he's going to be healthy and because he faces an easy schedule is going to have a phenomenal start to the season. However, he may be a sell high next season because the rest of the season, it gets a lot rougher. Um, so week six through 10, he has the 28th, or, or the uh, 28th easiest schedule, the, the sixth hardest schedule. Weeks 11 through 15, he has the, uh, sorry, the 20th or the 24th, so that would be the 10th hardest schedule, I believe. Ninth hardest schedule, I'm sorry. And then even in the playoffs, he's middle of the pack in terms of a schedule difficulty. Um, he ranks 14th in terms of ease of schedule. So I think a, there's a lot of people that are very high on carry on Johnson, especially with Daryl Bevel there, uh, especially with the news that Daryl Bevel keeps continuing to say, we're going to be a running team. But in, and then after those first four weeks, when he likely is going to be one of the top running, well, maybe I, I shouldn't say likely, but he has a high chance of being one of the top running backs in the league. He could fall off very quickly. So he may be a sell-high candidate after those first four weeks because I believe they have a bye week in week five, and you may want to sell after that bye week or before that bye week is over. Here's one that's going to hurt my soul because I'm the only guy that uh, is a proponent of this guy. The hardest overall schedule in 2019 for running backs is Damian Williams. <laughs> and that's rough. And and maybe it shouldn't hurt my soul because it's going to be hard for wh whomever, even including the Jag that is Carlos Hyde. Um, yeah, I, I like throwing provocative statements out there just to get these guys riled up. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing this on purpose the whole way through. Oh, I, I absolutely am. Uh, but they face – so just to give you an idea of what that schedule looks like, they faced Jacksonville, which who allowed the fifth fewest points last season to running backs. Um, then they faced Oakland, who was middle of the pack. They they allowed the twentieth twentieth um, fewest or or twelfth most, thirteenth most uh, points. Then they faced Baltimore, who allowed the fewest points to running backs. Uh, Detroit, after that, who they ranked thirteenth in points uh, against against. For running backs but the second half of the season they looked a lot better after they traded for snacks harrison and i would look for them to continue that um trend as well uh the colts um were middle of the pack as well and then houston was um seventh denver was middle of the pack but they have a a they're they're recommitting to that defense and now with Vic fangio um 
So the first half of their schedule is brutal. And then you and then even even in the second half, you have Tennessee who's the third who allowed the third fewest. Um Houston well, I already talked about Houston, sorry. Uh they face Denver again, they face Chicago, which Chicago might uh you might see regression because of the loss of Vic Fangio. Um, but you're 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 just you're hearing a lot of teams that allowed um the fewest or or the bottom, I guess, third fewest amount of points to running back. So it's going to be a brutal schedule. Um, they're going to, they're, they're throwing team anyway. They're, and they're likely going to score a ton. So maybe this isn't going to be as bad as we think, because likely you're going to get a, a, a few touchdowns, a lot, a lot of goal line carries, but the Kansas city chiefs, running back situation is not as fun as a lot of people think it will be in 2019 because of that strength of schedule. Uh, Here's an interesting one that I I put on here because of this. The best playoff schedule is the New England, New England Patriots. And I, I um, put down both Sonny Michelle and Damian Harris and we're getting news from New England camp or uh, from mini camp that Sonny Michelle had uh, arthroscopic knee surgery and he should be ready for camp. But that's just that's puts another worry in people's minds about those about Michelle's knees. And with the fact that they uh, the Patriots drafted and I believe they traded up to draft Damian Harris, it kind of leaves a bit of doubt in terms of Sony Michelle owners and who knows how well those knees are going to hold up. So it's just, it, it was an interesting fact to look at that they have the easiest schedule based off of point 2018 points. And Damian Harris might be a guy. If you have Sony Michelle, you might, and, and this is just probably true anyway, but because of this strength, uh, because of the playoff schedule, Damian Harris might be a guy that you want to pick up later in drafts just for that insurance. But also he could be quote unquote, a league winner because of that playoff schedule. Uh, the next one is another group, um, and these and I labeled these guys as buy low candidates, and that's Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. They have a brutal schedule the first uh, four weeks or first five weeks of the season. They are 30th. They have the, the third hardest schedule on um, the first five weeks of the season. They play um, Oakland, which is not bad, but then they play Chicago, Green Bay, Jacksonville, Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, so you have three of the uh, or two at least two of the top five um, defenses against running backs, and then uh, Green Bay's no slouch. Uh, the Chargers are no slouch. Um, Oakland looked did what they could to get that defense better. So they could be better as well this season. So I would not be surprised to see the Broncos running backs struggle the first quarter of the season. And obviously the reason I I labeled them as buy low is that um, 
they have a much easier schedule the rest of the way. So they have the 11th easiest schedule from week six through 10. Uh, they have the seventh easiest schedule from weeks 11 through 15. And then they have the 11th easiest in the playoffs. So Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman are by low candidates after week five um, because they, they also could uh, help you uh, the rest of the way and into the playoffs. And then finally, the worst schedule, and I know this is going to hurt John and it's going to hurt friend of the show, Brian Haar, is Aaron Jones. So it's it's an iffy situation anyway um, because we're getting, uh, I guess, things from Matt LaFleur saying that they're going to use a committee approach. Jamal Williams is going to be out there. Dexter Williams is probably going to be out there. I think we all know that Aaron Jones is the best running back in that backfield, but it seems like they trust Jamal Williams more on passing downs. And mind you, this is a different offense altogether, so we don't necessarily know what this is going to look like. In the it's look like whatever Aaron Rodgers wants it to, apparently. But go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that's true too. Um, but yeah, so Aaron Jones, actually, I, and I think I misspoke. He has a worst playoff schedule. He doesn't have the worst schedule. He has the worst playoff schedule. Um, so his schedule through the 16-game uh, fantasy football season is, is kind of middle of the pack. I mean, it's 24th, so 9th, 10th worst. But you get into the playoffs, and they fa- in, in weeks 14 through 16, and they face uh, – Chicago, they face face Minnesota, they face Detroit, and they face Washington. And all of those teams have good defenses. All of those teams have been good against the run. So it's going to be difficult for Aaron Jones to be successful in the playoffs. So he may be another, if he is able to break through that committee, he may be another sell high candidate before the playoffs start or before that deadline starts. That's mm. all I got. <laughs> so it's going to be tough for Jamal Williams is what you're telling me. Dang it. Yeah, that's what stop I said. Stop it. Brutal. Stop that. You stop that right now. If we're going to, if we have to sit here and act like Kenneth Dixon is not going to do anything, Carlos Hyde is not going to do anything. At the very least, we can acknowledge that Aaron Jones is going to be the feature back. Even if they've got a bad playoff schedule, he's still going to be the lead back in Green Bay. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I had to sit here and listen to how Sony Michelle were worried about him having off-season knee surgery, which is when you want players to have surgery. And I had to hear that silently. So come but on. now he's injury prone, James. I uh, yeah, and he's still going three rounds later than Delvin Cook. <laughs> <laughs> because Dalvin Cook is that much better than he is. Oh, God. see, are we going to start this injury-prone nonsense again, James? Apparently, Ugh. if 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 we're going to apply it to one guy, we've got to apply it to all of them. That's what. That's all I'm saying. Everybody's dying anyway. It's yeah. it's all <laughs> awful. That's true too. We're all we're all <laughs> headed downhill. Uh, so there's a few things in here that I really like, by the way, even though you definitely brought up some names that kind of hurt my feelings, <laughs> uh, just in general and, and off also um, omitted some names, uh, that, uh, that affect me far worse oh, yes. <laughs> than the ones that you did mention. Uh, but I, I really like the idea of going carry on Johnson kind of to start the season, take advantage of that schedule. 
and then you kind of transition into you know the whoever is the starting running back in Denver, Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, and then by playoff time you're on Damian Harris uh, for his solid playoff schedule. And these are you you could end up with all those guys on the same roster. Yep. I yeah, don't love and, the idea of what, uh, you know, I don't love what you have to pay to get carry on Johnson just for the first, you know, what, five games of the season. But I mean, you're going to get return value. Like you said, I mean, there's a sell high window there after he gets through that part of the schedule. I, but, that that Damien Harris one is especially interesting to me. And like I said, that's why I put uh, it on here. Well, and it's, it, it's not even anything to, well, it is anything. <laughs> it's, it's to do with Michelle. Let's be real here. Like, yeah. listen, I, I think Michelle's great. Like, he did fantastic at the end of the season last season. I, but I mean, James, can we admit that his knees are worrisome at the very least? Yeah. Yeah. I will say that it's, it's a concern, but I do think that concern is baked into his ADP. Oh, no, no. I, I completely agree. But I, I, I guess the thing is, if you're going to go with Michelle, Damien Harris is a very good insurance policy there. I can um, get on board with that. And, and he's cheap enough to, to where you're not paying a premium for him. Right. Right. And, and like yeah. I said, Damien Harris could end up being a league winner just because of the fact that if for some reason, Michelle uh, gets rested towards the end of the season, because let's be real, the Patriots are likely winning the AFC East again. If Michelle gets some rest towards the end of the season and Harris starts to take on more of a workload, especially in the fantasy playoffs, Damian Harris could be fantastic for leagues and or for teams in the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was going with it is more just the fact that Damian Harris you can acquire quite a bit cheaper. There's certainly no guarantees that by you know, that point in the season, Damian Harris has any kind of workload whatsoever for the Patriots. But I mean, I think that there's a better chance that he he's involved. You know, it might not be the lead back duties necessarily. Sony Michelle could definitely still be healthy or that, you know, they could kind of keep him healthy. They could kind of handle him with kids gloves until you get to, you know, the that kind of stretch run late in the season for NFL purposes. So, you know, that's, that's certainly possible, but I mean, I, I got to think that Damian Harris is involved in some way by then, you know, but even if it's kind of the Rex Burkhead type of role, which was still fantasy relevant most of the time, as long as he was healthy in the last few seasons. So, you know, it's, it's more about the fact that you can get him late in your startup or late in your, late in your draft and you know he's he's going to be one of the guys he's got a good chance here you know we're kind of identifying somebody who has a chance to be a major contributor for you regardless of his role on his team come fantasy playoff time when you know by then you know that time and at that point in 2018 we were looking at guys like CJ Anderson and Gus Edwards Damian Williams you know, so uh, there's there's going to be this Justin Jackson. There's going to be this random group of guys by then anyways. So, you know, the fact that we can kind of get out ahead of this a little bit and assume that Damian Harris is going to have a role and get him super cheap. I, I that's that's the part that appeals to me. 
All right, all right, John, we get it. Stompy's list was awesome. My list sucked because Tom Brady no, he's not a good quarterback anymore. Can we can we move on to the wide receivers and tight ends now? Let's be let's be clear real quick. Stompy's list was not awesome though. Like I said, the, the just the omission of Kenneth Dixon alone and then the failure to acknowledge Carlos Hyde as the best running back on the, the team with the worst. I acknowledge. I acknowledged back. he's a jag. You called him a jag. Yeah, he's a jag. <sighs> okay, I stand corrected. So everyone sucks but you. Let's get to your list, John. All right, let me show you how it's done. So I'm working on both the wide receivers and the tight ends here. And first of all, I need to give a shout out to to my guy, Hilal Chami, at HJ Chami. We've got to get Hilal on the show at some point. He's been one of the most fascinating people to me. He's probably not even going to listen to this, so I'm not going to go too far into it. But the the fact that he advocates for players that nobody else even really cares about has always just been really intriguing to me. And uh, and I love talking fantasy with him. But he uh, he put in some research to combine fantasy points allowed by position and offensive line ranking to determine overall viability of players at each of the four positions in compartmentalized matchups. And so that's what I'm going to work off of uh, for my top six, top six here. So the wide receivers and tight ends, starting with the the wide receiver with the best schedule, DJ Moore from week six through 16. And he, he's got, so he's got the seventh, the seventh best schedule from weeks six through 10, fourth best from 11 through 15. Uh, and then the second best in the fantasy playoff. So it's not the entire season. He's, it's going to be a little tough for him to start the season, but then it's all systems go, including the Falcons, the Seahawks, the Colts in the that's a fantasy playoffs. The Colts in the championship, that's a little bit tough. But I mean, where they got that that number three ranking was primarily off of Pierre Desir, who is not really gonna shadow a whole lot. And DJ Moore is gonna be a guy who moves around the form the formation quite a bit. So I think he can avoid Pierre Desir for the most part. Uh I and I think that he's still gonna be able to to be productive even against a a very good Colts secondary in the fantasy championship. The tight end with the best schedule, Noah Fant. And actually, again, not the best schedule overall, but a, a, a very exploitable schedule here for one single tight end. There's not really a committee approach to this. He's got the 17th best schedule in weeks one through six, 11th best in six through 10, and then the seventh best schedule among tight ends for the rest of the season from week 11 on through your fantasy playoffs. He's got the chargers, uh, the Texans, the chiefs, the lions to end the season. Uh, those are all uh, the chargers are the best out of that group. They were the 12th best against tight ends in 2018, the Texans and chiefs in weeks 14 and 15 are amazing matchups. That's the 28th and 31st best defenses against tight ends in 2018. As far as the worst wide receiver schedule, <sighs> Corey Davis, of course, has the GD worst schedule among wide receivers. And I had to point it out. I think that it's important because if this breakout actually occurs for Corey Davis, when he's got this type of schedule, 
So he's got the 21st best schedule in to start the season, weeks one through five. But then it's the worst schedule, the hardest schedule for a wide receiver in weeks six through 10, 25th in weeks 11 through 15th and through 11 through 15 and 29th best schedule in the fantasy playoffs. If he's able to break out despite all that, you guys cannot say a freaking word ever again about Corey Davis. It's it's just forbidden from now on. If he overcomes this, and this isn't meant to be an excuse for Corey Davis if he doesn't break out. Mm-hmm. If 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 this if this schedule still is is too much for him, then I mean we've we've got to talk about that. We've got to consider the fact that good coverage can shut down this guy. You cannot consider him a wide receiver one if that's the case. If he's going to get erased by these, even though these are good defenses, if he gets erased by that, that's that's something that we have to consider. But I mean, to start this, just to start the season, he gets the Browns. They were the 11th best against wide receivers in 2018, and we know that they've only improved defensively since then. He gets the Colts again. Pierre Desir is in in this case he is going to be locked on Corey Davis most of the time because Corey Davis is not going to be a guy who moves around the formation a whole lot. He gets a Jaguars, the number one wide receiver, <laughs> number one defense against wide receivers, Jalen Ramsey for one more year. Then he gets a nice matchup with the Falcons, but then it's right back to it with the Bills, the number four defense in 2018 against wide receivers, the Broncos who are 13th and they've only gotten better. The chargers who are fifth, that's how they start the season. And it only gets worse from there. So it's going to be a tough season for Corey Davis schedule wise, but I'm still, I, I I still believe. So what, what's the statistic that Corey Davis is going to be a part of if he doesn't break out being a, a a, a top 10 wide receiver or whatever, round one wide receiver like wasn't it like 86 percent of round one wide receiver or no it was like dominator ratings above a certain point or breakout age is about at like 18 yeah he had all of that stuff and it was yeah it, it would be it would pretty much be unprecedented for him to not hit Okay, so it's going to be precedented for him to not hit. <laughs> you can't say it's going to be precedent. Oh no, no, That's I just not did. a real thing. No, I just did. <laughs> Anyways, let me get to. Let me. Can I no, finish? I, I him. Can I, I finish? You did say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, TJ Hawkinson has a bad tight end schedule. He's got the thirtieth best schedule, uh, weeks one through five. Twenty fourth from weeks six through ten. 27th from week 11 through 15 and the worst schedule for tight ends through the fantasy playoffs. He only has two games versus bottom five defenses from 2018 versus tight ends all year. He's got the chiefs and the Raiders and that's in the first half of the season. From there, it's all, it's all killers. So if you're expecting a breakout, a rookie breakout from TJ Hawkinson, you know, based on everything that we know about his athleticism, the fact that he's going to be on the field, forget all of that and focus on the fact that these defenses take all of these defenses on his schedule, take the tight end out of the game completely. Like on top of being a rookie, 
he has just absolutely no room to work. Now, I've got uh, some wide receiver buy and sell windows. First of all, you can buy Michael Thomas after week 10. He has the 11th best start to the season, followed by the second worst schedule from week 6 through six through 10. But then the, f- the fifth best schedule from weeks 11 through 15, and the sixth best through the playoffs. And then on the other side of the token, though, is the Miami Dolphins wide receivers. We're all pretty high on Albert Wilson. I believe this podcast is a is an Albert Wilson podcast. But regardless of who it is, who it ends up being, they've got a nice schedule to start the the season, but then by week 10 it's going to be time to sell. They've got the eighth best schedule to start, the fourth best through uh, from week 6 through 10, but then they've got the absolute worst schedule possible from week 11 on. By the way, I have a bet with Liz Loza that I have to eat a kid's birthday cake in a <laughs> singlet of the Miami Dolphins colors if Albert Wilson does not finish as a top 24 wide receiver. Oh, my God. I almost want to root against Albert Wilson now. Damn it. <laughs> a kid's birthday cake? I mean, yeah, what? just like a mini birthday cake. Oh, like a smash cake? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Do you have to eat it like a like a two year old on his birthday? Just like man, I will, I will smash it eat it with my hands, and then I will eat it with my hands. Nice. It'll be All like right. it'll be like Brucey from uh, Matilda. And what does she have to do if you if that doesn't happen? I think, I think it was wear a shirt that says Bert Alert and do the same thing, <laughs> and eat a smash cake. All yep. right. Cool. Well, I mean. I, I think that you've probably got this, but the fact that the schedule gets so bad at the end of the season, uh, that certainly uh, that bodes well for Liz. By the way, I'm going to zoom out from my crotch again. So, okay. <laughs> oh, man. Come on. <laughs> I, I don't know how you get much closer without in act- doing an actual, like, you need a urologist. Yep, get right inside that urethra, baby. Yeah, yeah. Start from the inside and work your way out. That's kind of all that all we got left. Oh man. Anyways, <laughs> and some buy sell windows for tight ends. Uh, by David Njoku after week ten. Uh, he's got the 18th hardest schedule to start weeks one through five, and the 12th from six through ten. But from there, he's got the best schedule for tight ends. From week 11 on, including the entire fantasy playoffs. And then sell Austin Hooper, 13th best to start, followed by the 7th best from week 6 through 10. And from there, he's got the 30th, the uh, the third hardest schedule from weeks 11 through 15 before a decent matchup. Still not great, but average, middle of the road with the Jacksonville Jaguars in your fantasy championship. Not worth holding on for that one. Well done. Um, so I guess just a couple things. So that best wide receiver schedule, DJ Moore, but I also like Curtis Samuel a lot next season. Sure. Um, Matt Harmon, real his reception perception really loves Curtis Samuel. Uh, thinks he's the best route runner and uh, an outside route runner on that team. So that's another guy to keep an eye on or to pick up um, later uh, in drafts, um, especially with that wide receiver schedule. 
another note for Noah Font is the wide receiver schedule for the Broncos. They have the second worst wide receiver schedule uh, weeks one through 16. So that might push more targets towards Noah Font. And of course we have uh, Joe Flacco who likes to target um, tight ends. If you haven't read John's uh, article on Noah Font and why he is the best uh, rookie wide receiver this season and, and really probably can finish tight end among the tight end ones this season, then you should go do that on uh, FF statistics. I've got him as wide receiver seven in both dynasty and redraft. There you go. For, for 2019. Yeah. Um, Corey Davis is hot garbage. Uh, Damn it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you were so nice about the Noah fan stuff. And then you've got to. He's going to be a below average wide just, receiver too. You uh, just honey dicked me. You just totally just drew me in with that one. And then I, here's the thing. I, I I'm going to clear this up a little bit. I don't think Corey Davis is a bad wide receiver. In fact, I think he can be a very good wide receiver. He just landed in an atrocious situation. No, that's mm-hmm. not I, true either. Yes, it is. This is a <laughs> this is a backhanded way of going after Marcus Mariota. Well, no, again. it's not We're, backhanded. Do you want me to be? F- front-handed about this Marcus Mariota. I mean, it's the terrible. least you can do. I There was a uh, there was a uh, Leave Corey tweet. Davis there, out was of a, it, there was a tweet on uh, no, I was going to say there was a tweet on Twitter. Duh. Uh, but JP Hurley from uh, Dynasty Trade Calculator said something along the likes of uh, Marcus Mariota is getting disrespected being the 29th QB taken. Yeah. Behind Drew Locke. And, and I said something along That's the lines true. of I think I said something along the lines of, well, I mean, I would take Drew Locke just for what he can become over Marcus Mariota. So <laughs> it's ridiculous and you know it. I know I, I, I admit I admitted I was being an asshole there. But um listen, regardless of if, if Mark if Marcus Mariota is a good or bad QB, like I'm gonna like let's be um uh, agnostic about this they don't throw the ball he Corey davis was among the ball Corey davis was among the top wide receivers in market share last season and he only finished and i i'd have to look it up but he only finished as like a wide receiver three last season and now competition only got worse and they basically reco not recommitted but they re recommitted to the run uh, if that makes any sense like they're going to continue to run the ball a ton i would be very surprised to see marcus Mariota break 500 passing attempts this season stompy you don't think that Corey davis can be really good with Tannehill at the home oh well maybe yeah. i with Tannehill, they might break 500 passing attempts yeah you i know the role you know, less when you have mariota hill has actually thrown for uh, over 4,000 yards. Let's see how many times. Uh, twice. And then he was he threw for 3,900 yards in two, 2013. So, yeah, I definitely could could do it with Tannehill. Nice. Okay, so there's hope for Corey Davis, John. We're not hating on Davis. Yeah, now. there you go. You I, think John, I think John's crying. <laughs> so much. <laughs> um, but back, back to it. Uh, one one question on David Njoku. I mean, I get the schedule gets better at the end of the season, but 
Is there not not a concern that with OBJ and Landry and Callaway, um, and then and I'm going to say this and I'm going to hate it because we already we, we started this discussion uh, before the podcast. Kareem Hunt coming back in Week Nine that there are going to be a lot more, and this is going to be so cliche, a lot more mouth to feed, and that David Njoku becomes the possible fourth or fifth option in that passing offense. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean that part for sure. But the the best tight end schedule for six straight weeks is compelling to me at a position that's really just kind of a, a you know, just, a, just an overall landmine or minefield anyways, you know, it, it's hard enough to find a tight end who even has the opportunity to score. So, you know, the fact that David Njoku, I, I think he does have that. I think he has the opportunity to, you know, to, to get you double digit fantasy points for six straight weeks. I think there's significant value in that at the tight end position where it's just so volatile. It's so hard to find any kind of consistency. So I, I, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say that you you move heaven and earth to get him. I don't think that you back off of, you know, the the top tier type of guys for him. Um, maybe not even the second tier guys. I don't think that he necessarily jumps ahead of, you know, Evan Ingram, even though he's got a kind of tough schedule to end the season. It, that I, I don't know. He could be in that conversation. He could be in the conversation with guys like Evan Ingram and, and OJ Howard, you know, by, by that point in the season, just based on, you know, the opportunity to exploit those defenses. Fair enough. All right. Should we get our, to the freestyle stuff or uh, do you guys need to crap on uh, Corey Davis, Marcus Mariota a little bit more? AJ Brown, AJ Brown's a top wide receiver in Tennessee. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I think I just angered John to him. He just rage quit the podcast. <laughs> I just, uh, I, yeah, I'm just, I'm seeing red over here. Uh, I, I, I can't, I can't even James. What? Just, just <laughs> do your work. Great. All right, I'm, I'm taking over here. Yeah. So I, yeah, in the spirit of the SFB nine, which is going to be a, a, a video game character, uh, theme. So uh, all the divisions are going to be themed uh, for video game characters. I decided, you know what? I'm going to list my top six, my super six pack favorite video games. And Stompy, I'm going from six to one just to upset you again, because you haven't even played my number two and my number one on my list. And that saddens me. Um, so I'm going to start with number six. Number six to me is Zelda. And Zelda was fantastic. And I, I don't even care which Zelda you want to you want to go off of? If you want to go off the original, The Legend of Zelda. If you want to go um, to the Adventures of Link, A Link of the Past, Link's Awakening, um, you know you can go all the way through uh, Majora's Mask, and I, I, all of them are fantastic. The whole series is good. Uh, Zelda is 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 just such a fun game. Um, really, the first RPG game that I ever got into, uh, video game wise, and and I I I can I can replay. 
uh, any of these Zelda games over and over and over again. They're that good. Uh, number five to me is Mario Kart. Mario Kart's a classic. I mean, we all can, anybody who's played Mario Kart is going to have their favorite character. They're going to have reasons why. They're going to have characters that they don't like being, um, and they're going to have their favorite tracks. Mario Kart is fantastic. The replayability is so much fun, and it's even more fun the more people that you have that that play together. So Mario Kart to me was a blast. Number four, it was Mortal Kombat. Back when I was a kid, we used to get together and play Mortal Kombat. We try to beat the uh, the game with every character to see the endings. We would try, you know, all the fatalities we wanted to see. Um, and so we played hours and hours and hours of Mortal Kombat um, with all the different characters. It was a blast. That to me was the first um, kind of uh, combat game um, that was just pretty much, you know, one-on-one -on -one combat. And there was really no story to it outside of that, that I, I, uh, I really got into. Number three for me was Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden was so good, but man, it was so infuriating. Ninja Gaiden was one of those games where it got it got increasingly difficult as you went further. And once you got to the end, once you got to the big boss, if you did not, if you didn't succeed, man, you had to start over. It was brutal. The the pressure that you felt when you got there was was intense. But Ninja Gaiden was so much fun. Um I, I could still sit down and play Ninja Gaiden for hours. That's how great that game was, uh, the original Ninja Gaiden. Number two on my list is Excite Bike. Man, Excite Bike was so much fun. I, on the original Nintendo system, uh, you put in Excite Bike, and again, you could build your own tracks. It was one of the first games that you kind of had customizable control over things. You can build your own tracks. You can add in, you know, uh, dirt pits. You could add in big mountain things that you were, you were, you know, taking your bike over. You could, I mean, you could really oil oil spills. Um, you can add in all sorts of stuff. Excite Bike was so great. It was basically what you made out of it. Um, you could do super ramps, and you could be jumping, uh, you know, grass, uh, you know, grass parts of the uh, of the track. It was it was a blast. Uh, Excite Bike was so much fun, and uh, that was one of those games that got harder and harder as you went along too. My number one game, though, was Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. How could you not love Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? On the original Nintendo, that game was awesome. Uh, just the, the whole story, your little Mac, and you're, you know, you're training, and as you go along, you know, you start pretty easy. You start in the, uh, the, the easier circuit, and as you go up, the pressure mounts because it's getting more difficult and more difficult. And as you get to these bosses, if you don't beat them, man, you got to go down a few levels, and then you got to kind of start over from there. You don't get to just start over against the opponent that you were at. No, you have to go down a little bit. So, um, and to get to Mike Tyson was, man, it was brutal. And once you got there, you felt the pressure because, again, that was one of those where you don't just get to re-go, re you know, uh, rematch against Mike Tyson after you lose. You had to go down to another, a couple, a couple more really tough opponents and beat them again just to get another opportunity. So um, that game was a blast. I love playing Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Again, another game. The replayability was so great. You could wait a little bit after beating it and then replay it again and still be addicted. So those are my top six video games. I know Stompy hasn't heard of the top two, so he's going to trash on my list. But, John, what do you think? Mike Tyson's Punch Out. That's a huge. Yeah, you got you nailed that one. Who was uh, who is your favorite guy to fight on uh, against on uh, on Punch Out? Soda Popinski was awesome. Um to me, I, I don't know why, but he had those those three quick uppercuts that he would do in succession, and uh, I really felt like every time I'd be able to to bob out of the way from those, and I was able to get them, I felt like I earned it. I felt like I earned that. Um, so he he was my favorite, and just seeing him chugging soda before every uh, every boxing match um, got me laughing too. I thought that was hilarious. So Soda Popinski was my favorite. What about you? Oh man, it's it's kind of a tie for me between Bald Bull. 
because I mean, first of all, he looked like such a bad guy, but you could knock him out with one punch if you timed it right when he did his bull charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you if you hit him at the right time, it just it just wiped him out, just melted him. And uh, but then the other one was Tyson Honda because he just looked like such an athlete, but you could just destroy yeah. him. He was like he was pretty easy to beat. So, you know, he was he was kind of built like Mike Tyson without nearly the skills. So, yeah, both of those two are a lot of fun to fight again. Well, and, and Don Flamingo, actually, too. <laughs> yeah, Don Flamingo, that's he's, a fantastic. He's just such a little. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, <laughs> in my in my defense. Uh-huh. My first ever uh, console was play was was a PlayStation. That is not a good defense. Well, how is that not That's, a good defense? That means that you were just as sheltered as Addison Hayes. How how does that make me sheltered? Because where what were you doing when the Nintendos were out? I was playing outside like a latchkey kid. <laughs> we did some of that too but what happened when the street lights came on and you hold had on, to go on. inside am i the youngest yeah, one here am i the youngest one on this podcast absolutely yeah, yeah. how you old are you john 37 see yeah that's that's why i was i am turning 31 next week so get off uh, of me. just just a baby I, when i got a playstation i was six years old <laughs> wow okay all right, well, that's that's legit, I suppose. Maybe that's why his fantasy football takes aren't very good. They haven't matured yet, John. You do understand I won <laughs> SFBA, right? Yeah, I know you got lucky okay. once it happens. All right. All right. The other the other uh, thing here is, despite it being on this list, somehow James spelled Mario Kart with a C. And Mortal Kombat. Wasn't that one with a K? Yes. Yeah. yeah, those Thank those were uh, James. Yeah, I didn't spend uh, nearly enough time correcting the spelling on those. Sorry. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really strong list, though. I I don't know about Excite Bike necessarily. It was fun, but I don't know how that makes I I it wouldn't make it into my top six. Put it that way. Uh, but I'd have some other random, pretty random ones like Banjo Kazooie, um, and Goldeneye. Oh, Goldeneye was great. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I'll be honest with you. Blades of Steel almost made this list, but I figured because it was hockey, um, most people wouldn't accept that. So I kept it off there. But Blades of Steel, I thought was fantastic for the original Nintendo too. There was a, there was a somebody. I think it was JJ Zacharyson put up a poll about Goldeneye versus Perfect Dark. I've never heard of Perfect Dark. Yeah, I've never played that one. Anyway, man, we're going to piss some people off with that. But, um, all right. Well, <laughs> with that being said, let's move on to yours, Stompy. Freestyle on us. Yeah, I I went a little bit. I don't I don't know if this is obscure. It was just something I was thinking about, like. When when we thought of this uh, six pack, this or for, for this show, and mine is the best non lead TV characters. Um, because I know there are a lot of characters out there that kind of steal the show, even though they're not the lead character. So I'm going to go opposite of James again, because I'm a normal human being. <laughs> My number one is Titus Andromedon from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He is the most flamboyantly gay character on any TV show ever. And it is, and and he is the most hilarious 
character on well maybe not on any tv show ever but he's up there uh so i definitely recommend unbreakable with kimmy schmidt on netflix just because of a titus andromedon um number two and i know you guys will recognize this because he is my favorite jeff and it's john ralphio from parks and rec and my favorite jeff is him singing the worst in uh in ben's ear yeah my i mean and and he just he's fantastic him and his sister which i can't remember when you put this when you put this one on the list i assumed it was just because of the the gif oh no i i he's a he's a great character and and the the reason i i love that gif is because of and i keep switching gif and gif whatever um it's to appease everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah, it totally depends on the podcast. Um, but it, the reason I love that Jeff is because of Jean Ralphio. Uh, number three is uh, Hank or uh, Hank from Barry. I don't know if you have seen Barry on HBO, but he is a Russian gangster. But he's like one of those like awkward but kind Russian gangsters where he like befriends the main character and he, he, he's fantastic. So I definitely recommend, recommend Barry. Very, very funny character. Number four. Um, and I'm sure everybody knows this guy. Uh, if you haven't watched the office, I don't know what you've been doing for whatever, a decade uh, is Creed Bratton. Quabity, quabity, <laughs> qua, 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 it's, it's something like that. Quality assurance, insurance. I don't. Know. I uh, remember where I know you from. You were in the parking lot earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm actually in the middle of rewatching it, and uh, I I just watched the um, the first Christmas episode where they're doing like the Yankee swap, but Creed uh forgets to get jim a gift for secret santa <laughs> so he just throws in a, like an old flannel in there <laughs> yeah it's like too short for jim and yeah <laughs> um number five is rickety cricket from it's always sunny and how just raggedy he gets throughout that show is fantastic and the probably the pinnacle for me is when he starts doing like the uh dance um or he starts doing choreography for like a, a play or something and he's just banging on trash cans and stuff. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Like le- legitimately one of the best acting jobs uh, out there. And then finally, and and this is one that I will forever, uh, forever recommend is, is it's from Shits Creek and no, I'm not cursing. It's S C H I T T apostrophe S Creek. And it's the uh, hotel owner, Stevie, because she is just the most deadpan person. And deadpan humor is the funniest thing in the world to me. So definitely recommend Shit's Creek because that is a fantastically hilarious show. So truth be told, I know who half of this list is. and Yeah, same. So the half that I know... The, the three out of the six that I know, I think are fantastic. And so I'm, I'm on board with those three. Um, 
but there are still three that I haven't seen, but you've intrigued me enough to the point where I want to go watch them all. So um, I have not seen Unbreakable uh, Kimmy Schmidt. I have heard from other people, though, that it's a fantastic show. So this this is probably enough to put me over the top to start watching that one pretty much immediately. I have not watched Barry at all, um, and I have not seen Schitt's Creek either. So those are all three shows that I kind of want to watch now, um, especially if they come highly recommended from you, sir. So, um, But the other three that are on here, I mean, yeah, Parks and all three of these shows are fantastic, but I think you highlighted part of the reason why. It's because not only are the weeds great, but they have so many good supporting actors and actresses um, on those shows that it really makes it makes it even better. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm on board with, uh, with those three. Creed was kind of a tough one for me because I was sitting here thinking like, man, it, there's got to be even better character. Like it's such an, an a, a strong ensemble on oh, yeah. that show that they're like, there's got to be someone better, but I was having a hard time coming up with anybody that I like better than Creed. That's not, you know, considered one of the main characters. And it's one of those things where he is just so, like out there with with everything he says like he doesn't say a lot but when he does it's hilarious Bo body Bo body <laughs> yeah what are we doing <laughs> the other one the other one is uh when ryan complains to toby about uh, creed smells like death and he goes oh i know exactly what he's talking about <laughs> I, I sprout mung beans in my desk on a damp paper towel very nutritious yeah. smell like death <laughs> yeah. uh yeah he's a, i think kelly kapoor might be my my favorite non like non-lead in that show but creed is a very close second he like he it, it was it's funny because he'll go several episodes without really even saying anything at all but then just kind of out of nowhere he's He's got the line of the episode. So, yeah, that's a pretty strong one. All right. Let me get to mine so that uh, so we don't take up the, too much. Yeah, of the this seems time. like another John angry list right here. So this is going to be great. Well, it is a little bit. Yeah, because, you know, the saying goes everything I need to know. I learned in kindergarten. Well, I, first of all, not totally true. But second of all, why did they stop at, kinder, at kindergarten then? teaching us things that we need to know yeah true true why is it that in high school we were taking college level math classes we're taking calculus and trigonometry where you know we're we're taking uh english classes with with things that we're never going to need and science classes and but we're not learning the things that it actually takes to be an adult my list is things they should have taught us in grade school and primarily high school. First of all, real world history. This is important stuff because as George Santayana is, I mean, credited with saying, is for those who don't learn from history or doomed to repeat it, if we don't understand the way things actually happened in the history of not only our country but our world, it's we're bound to repeat that the same the same chain of events that caused the wars that we learn about. We learn about the wars. We learn about 1492. We learn about 1776. They don't tell us about anything that happened in between the two. We learn we learn about the Revolutionary War into the Civil War, into World War One, into World War Two, into Vietnam, into the Cold War, and they don't teach you about the touchstone moments 
in both American and world history. I don't feel quite as strongly about that one as the rest of these, though. Personal finance. Teach teach us how to do taxes. Teach us how to balance a checkbook. I mean, that's not a real thing anymore, and I get that. That's, That's totally fine, but... I mean, you've got to at least go on the freaking website. All you have to do, the thing even saves your password for you. Just You've got to teach people how to get on there and check and make sure that the money is being spent in a way that they know and they understand. Teach people how to budget for their video games and their candy, for God's sakes. Personal care. How to, things like nutrition. Never learned about nutrition in high school. Absolutely nothing as far as that goes. Exercise, I mean, they they had us play dodgeball and handball and stuff, but that's not how you exercise as an adult. That's not really available to people. Certainly not at 6 a.m. before you go to work. Teach people how to actually work out and maintain, and, and take care of their body, how to maintain their body. I, I, here's another one, by the way, that falls into that same category is just how to freaking poop i don't necessarily even want to learn that one in school i think i think some of this could be could certainly fall under the parental scope and uh this one in particular uh you know that i can't even imagine what that lesson would look like to be honest with you i kind of cringe a little bit at that thought but just for the consistency of it just so that we all kind of have an agreement on how how things like this are done our entire society is divided on do you stand up to wipe or do you stay sitting to wipe i'm not going to take a position right here or anything oh my god but <laughs> but what? people this is, is that, i like how that very... evolved into oh well then i mean how do you wipe your own ass i wipe yeah. my own ass <laughs> <laughs> okay but but we're 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 very divided. We we factioned off on standing versus sitting, and the people on either side are absolutely convinced that the other side is psychotic for the way that they do it. This is, I mean, it's one of the more hot button issues, a, a, at least based on the podcasts that I've listened to that have addressed this. Uh, things like how to shower. I mean, uh, trending on Twitter a couple weeks ago was, "Do you wash your legs in the shower?" Like people just don't even know how to do this stuff. You end up with with <laughs> people end up with dandruff all the time. They they people don't shower enough. They don't shower correctly. Like this is all stuff that could be pretty easily taught. Like all in one course. Put all of this stuff in one course. Get people eating right, exercising, and maintaining their own body correctly on a daily basis. How hard is that to do? Next up, how to get a job. Make a resume, how to do an interview, how to fill out an application, how to tie a damn tie. Maybe that could fall into the last one. But, I mean, this is all stuff that you have to learn on the fly when you first reach adulthood. And people suck at it. They're absolutely terrible at going out and getting a job. From there, how to interact with people. That kind of falls into the same category. But here's the thing, guys. You want to know why I'm on a podcast? And not only that, why I edit the podcast? Because my social anxiety will not allow me to go into a crowded room of people and talk the way I do 
without the filter, without the safety of going back and taking out anything stupid that I say. I generally don't. I, I, I really I generally don't edit for uh, for vanity, but uh, just the opportunity, you know, just just the fact that I I could um, is the only reason that I feel comfortable. And finally, why and how to travel. Rick Riley said it best when he said that the more the less you've traveled, the more comfortable you are. There is a huge world out there for people to see. And again, I mean, we learned a little bit of geography. We learned how to point these places out on the map, but we never learned the virtues of going and seeing the rest of the world without fear of getting caned in Singapore or thrown in jail forever in, in a foreign country. You know, we're, we're so worried about what's going to happen because we haven't been told about the fact that this is, these are still human beings with an entire culture for you to learn and to celebrate. Okay. So I will say, I, I love this list. I think it's very good, but the, the, the only thing that I really care about at this point is when we are done recording, I want a, uh, I want a, a, a pretty in-depth uh, analysis on wiping stances from the two of you. So I know what kind of, mon- <laughs> so I know what kind of monsters I am podcasting with. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> like I said, I don't, I don't really take a position on it. That's not just because, uh, the, because we're recording right at the minute. I've legitimately don't have, what do you a, mean you don't have a preference either way? You have to, you, you, there has to be a go to, right? <laughs> Default, there should be, but no, no, it really isn't. That's even more insane. You are such an animal. How can you just because <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be you diplomatic? You don't know, no, I'm trying to, diplomat- I'm trying to like, understand both sides. That's like being like ambidextrous for everything. Like, oh yeah, I, I write left and right handed. I throw left and right handed. I catch left and right handed. I go out in the field when I play baseball with a mitt on both hands. Like, no, you can't. No, you have to take a stance. Jeez. All right. Well, I use my right hand. Uh, you know what, Stompy? I, when the, when the record button's done, I I, I got to hear your stance here. Well, this this is weird. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna get weirder, buddy. So basically what it comes down to is wash yourselves and become an adult. I don't know. Yeah, kind of. Someone needs to teach people how to do some of that. So, yeah, I I don't like. But goddamn, we need to know how to woodwork and other stupid math things. (laughs) The guy that's a chemical engineer that doesn't use his degree for anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, same. I so much of high school I already forgot, and uh, I mean, so much of it was just absolutely pointless. Like you, you legitimately don't use it in the real world. So I really wish that they would start teaching some of the stuff that you actually need. I threw this list together very fast, but it was definitely on my mind uh, today. So. I'm sorry that I wasn't more eloquent with it, but I do feel pretty strongly that these things are things that need to be addressed for the youth of America, or else we're all in big, big trouble if people can't, if people don't know how to do these things uh, once they reach adulthood. But with that said, <laughs> that seems like a good place to wrap it up. So let's do it. 
We'll wrap it up there for the week. And as we do ask you for a quick favor, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to the DLF Family of Podcasts, make a feed, and get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF. And once you're subscribed, if you'd give us a rating and review, not all podcatchers give you that option, but on the ones that do, those ratings and reviews help us to expand our reach, get out to a larger audience, involve more people in the conversation. And from there, we can really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you, the listener. And in the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter at SuperFlexShow. You can also sw- send them to any one of us individually. Stompy's at FFStompy. James is at underscore James the Brain. And I'm at SuperFlexDude. We can retweet them, help you get more votes and comments. And sometimes we even bring them here on the podcast. And in fact, we're going to be doing a trade show next week. Uh, we'll be without our man Stompy, and uh, we'll miss him dearly, uh, other than the part where he uh, he talks down on Corey Davis and Marcus Mariota. He gets very condescending with those, in fact. I'll miss that. Yeah. Uh, but we've James got... will take up the mantle for me. <laughs> he definitely will. He absolutely will. Uh, yeah, that sucks. Um, it, but we're going to have some awesome guests come on and, and uh, help us talk about your trade so definitely tag us in some trades here in the next week and uh we're gonna we're gonna analyze them right here on the podcast thank you to heart and soul radio for the song the addiction that we use as our intro and outro music and above all else thank you to each and every one of you for listening until next week stay sexy and super flexy so do you guys crumble the tp or do you fold it I think that's another big thing.